Saturday morning words and coffee. Welcome back. Have a nice cup of joe here. We're going to take a look at William Shakespeare today. And it's a speech from Macbeth. It is uh, probably one of the more famous speeches from the play. It's the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow one. They call it that because nobody has titles for these things. They just use the first sentence of the soliloquies and the speeches to tell you about where they're from. Uh, This one is in act number five, scene five, specifically lines 17 to 28. Actually, I'm going to take it back a couple of lines. Most uh, readings of this as a standalone poem start with tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I like the, uh, the, the two lines before it that lead into it as well. So let's set the scene a little bit. If you're not familiar with Macbeth, you've got a king who made himself king by killing a previous king. And his wife is, of course, Lady Macbeth, and she's quite famous for egging him on and egging him into it. But it was three witches that he would run into, three fortune tellers, uh, basically, that told him he was going to be king. And through various devious and murderous acts, he made sure that he would make those prophecies come true. And now he's holed up in Dunsinane Castle in Scotland as Malcolm the son of Duncan and the rightful heir to the throne, is approaching with an army that he's raised in England. And he's going to have it out with Macbeth once and for all and take the throne and kill Macbeth for all of the treachery and murder that he's done. So in this scene in Act 5, what we have is Macbeth troubled and full of turmoil for what he's done, all kinds of guilt back and forth, but at the same time this blinding ambition that has driven him close to madness and has certainly driven his wife mad as she sleepwalks her way around the castle now and and speaks and, and talks about visions and she can't get the uh, the blood off her hands and things. And so he's, he's sitting here, I guess sitting. Most of the things I've seen have him sitting, tired. And messenger comes in, Seward, and tells him uh, that the king, that the queen is dead, that she's killed herself. And so that's where we'll pick this up with Macbeth in the room, and someone has walked in and told him not only is the army coming to get him, but his queen is dead as well, and things look pretty lost. And here it is, Macbeth, Act 5. She should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools away to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And that is the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech after being informed that his wife is dead, immediately following that, he's told that the, uh, the army's coming to get him. <laughs> he, he's shocked to hear that because he was told by the witches that he wouldn't be defeated until the woods, Burnham Wood, rose up and marched to the castle. Well, of course, woods don't get up and walk, do they? But 
it was a prophecy involving the British, or excuse me, the English uh, army under Malcolm using branches and camouflaging themselves with uh, the branches from the woods, and that's what's marching towards the castle. So all the prophecies start to come true, just not in the way that he thought later. Macbeth meets Macduff in the castle for a final showdown. Macduff uh, is a character in the play, and Macbeth had put Macduff's family to death, so Macduff has a personal reason for wanting him killed, as well as one of saving Scotland from this treacherous uh, maniac. And the prophecy was that Macbeth could not be killed by anyone uh, born of woman. And of course, that he took that to mean that he could never be killed by a man. Well, Macduff was born by cesarean section, so he was never technically born, as it were. And Macduff cuts off his head. <laughs> cuts off Macbeth's head and, and presents it to Malcolm at the end of the play. If you're looking for bloodthirsty stuff to keep the kids away from, uh, sometimes the bookshelf is the place to start, even with stuff that was written hundreds of years ago. Uh, just a quick one on the tomorrow, tomorrow and tomorrow itself. I've uh, seen many actors say that the word and is the most important thing in there. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. That might be uh, an important word in there to the way those actors interpret it. I interpret it uh, as tired. He's just tired. He's had enough. And uh, he's painted himself into this corner. And now his, his wife, who was one of the architects of this entire thing, has killed herself. Uh, so it's looking pretty bleak. So if we just go through a few other lines that I find interesting, I think you might find interesting. Uh, I like the, you know, creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. I like that that imagery a lot. Shakespeare brings this, you know, a lot of himself or a lot of his own you know, vocation <laughs> into the speech because to the last syllable of recorded time, of course, Shakespeare writes mainly an iambic pentameter in his plays, including this one. Uh, iambic pentameter, of course, is... Uh, mainly means that, among other things, that there are ten syllables in each line. And he's saying here, to the last syllable of recorded time, instead of what we would say today, probably, you know, to the last moment, to the last second, something like that. Um, later on in the speech, he says, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And again, you know, to me, that, of course, is right back to the stage, uh, which Shakespeare knows a lot about. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. We're talking about, you know, maybe a bumbling clown. That's the metaphor here that's being used here. You bumble your way around the stage. Or maybe it's even more literal than that, about strutting and fretting. So you're one of these actors that takes up all the space and everything's important and everything's loud and you walk around like you own the place and upstage everybody. The sound and fury is the bombast of, you know, you know, bombastic speeches and special effects by rattling things to signify whether it's cannon fire or thunderstorms. And then the curtain drops and it's over and there's nothing and it signifies nothing. It's meaningless. And what we're getting at, of course, is Macbeth has reached the point where it's, it's complete nihilism, that life has no meaning before throughout the entire play. He's seen nothing but meaning in everything these witches have said. And then now, he sees life as purely meaningless. It's a complete 180, and his life has completely fallen apart. Uh, you might be interested to know, too, that a lot of titles have come out of this. So a lot of writers have 
raided William Shakespeare for titles. Uh, they also raid the Bible for titles and other great works or big works. And uh, so you've got in here Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow is a short story titled by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, Robert B. Parker, the novelist, used uh, All Our Yesterdays as a title. And he also used, I want to say, Brief Candles. No, Brief Candles was uh, Huxley. Brief Candles was a collection of short stories by Huxley. Uh, so many titles taken out of just this speech, uh, which goes to show that, you know, uh, what was the other famous one? It was Faulkner, The Sound and the Fury. So in the, in this uh, speech, you've got Full of Sound and Fury. Well, Faulkner took it and turned it into The Sound and the Fury uh, for a title of one of his more well-known novels. So many people have visited this speech over the centuries and seen a lot in it. And I highly recommend seeing the play if you haven't seen it or seeing it again, even if you have. I know it's nigh impossible to see anything right now. With the uh, We're recording this during the COVID lockdown stuff. But if you do get a chance to see it, maybe even see it on the, the small screen, uh, Roman Polanski did a version among others. There's many versions that you can get your hands on. And I highly recommend it. It's one of the shorter, I think maybe even the shortest, of the tragedies that Shakespeare wrote. So you can kind of breeze through it and it's full of action and intrigue. Uh, you know, you can do 10 seasons of game of Thrones or whatever it was, eight seasons of game of Thrones, or you can do this 90 minute, they probably truncated into an hour 45 for Macbeth and it's full of really good stuff. So I highly recommend it. So that's it for this time on Saturday morning words and coffee. I hope you liked digging into tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow with me. And we'll see you, not tomorrow, but of course, next Saturday, for some words and coffee.